like without yeah. having to click on the button. It was just escape. All right. So here we go, man. All right. Dang it. Are we live? No, not yet. If it's live, it's going to show a little eye on the right. Oh, really? Uh, I see live on uh, my phone. It says 25 seconds have passed. I don't think I clicked on anything. No, it will show like an eye symbol on the right saying that we're live. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. It's very, okay, we're live. You're right. Like, But normally it would be like, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like an eye beside the 37, the 40. Like, it looks like an eye. And it tells you that you're live, yeah. and then start saying who, how many people are watching. But all right, who cares now? All right, everybody. Hey, uh, me and Justin are figuring out technology, but we made it. All right, so we back at it again. It's me. It's him. We're about to get it again on the book of Nehemiah, chapter one. All right, and so uh, this is a conclusion of the book of Nehemiah, chapter one. So me and Justin are about to go to Nehemiah, chapter two. Now, uh, I mean, you know, our next video videos that we do. But yeah, we're doing we're doing a conclusion on the book of Nehemiah chapter one. So we're gonna be focusing on Nehemiah chapter one, verse six through eleven today. And we're gonna focus in on and and just pinpoint, you know, confessing, like true confession. That's what we're gonna be focusing on today. So um I'm gonna start off reading the verses, and then me and Justin is gonna start uh tearing away with uh Nehemiah chapter one, talking about true confession again with verses six through eleven. All right, so I'm about to share my screen. And Justin, you're sideways for some reason. Do you, do you see that? Oh, I am? Yeah, like oh. Let me see. All right, why you see hey. that? I'm about to, yeah, there you go. Is that better? Yeah, that's way better. All right, guys, so Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hecali, and it came to pass in the month of Cheslu in the 20th year, as I was in Sushan the palace, that Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came, he and a certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass. When I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and it's, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thy eyes open that they hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thou servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thou servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thou servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Though there were of you cast out into the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thou servants and thou people whom thou hast gained and thou power, great power, I mean by thy great power and by thy strong hand. 
O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thou servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. All right, so like I said, guys, we're going to be focusing in on talking about true confession, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to talk about confession first before I go to verse 6 or anything like that. Justin, let me know if you want to say something before I, I, I say yeah. anything. But, um, yeah, so I kind of got started off so we can have a direction. But, um, yeah, so what does it mean to really confess? And what does it mean to really, what is true confession, right? That's what I want to start off the video talking about, right? And this whole prayer that Nehemiah did, like a lot of sermons, a lot of studies and Sunday school lessons, titled Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah's prayer to God, right? Or Nehemiah's prayer, right? Just something like that. And just focus in on how Nehemiah approaches God, right? So it shows how we need to approach God if we're going to ask God for anything, right? There's a certain way we all need to approach God before we plead and ask him for anything. There's, there's something you got to do before you even do that. And that is confess your sins. That is repent of your sins. You got to acknowledge that you're wrong and God is right. You got to acknowledge that, you know, whatever God says goes and it doesn't matter what I think. You know, God is right about everything, right? That's, the, that's humility. Right. And that's how Nehemiah was from the get go. Right. Before he asked God for anything, because in the book of Nehemiah, we've been talking about it a lot. But in the book of Nehemiah, it's a book about the wall, uh, Nehemiah hearing that the walls of Jerusalem and the people are living in shame. Right. So the walls are down. The gates are, are burned. The city's in ruin and complete ruins. And all that's there is the temple. And the temple's been there for uh, 70 years before Nehemiah's time period. So after 70 years, you would think that the people wouldn't be living in the same situation that they were in 70 years ago, right? So it's 444 BC and Nehemiah is asking and he's happy to ask his brother in Hanani, like, you know, give me a report about what's going on in Jerusalem. I'm now I'm going to hear some good news. It's going to motivate me because of the situation he's in. He's in Sushan, the palace in Persia, one of the palaces that they had. It's their winter palace, right? So this winter palace is probably warmer than the other palace that they had. So they stay there during the wintertime. By the way, it goes, Nehemiah is not with God's people. He's not in Jerusalem like he wants to be. It's 800 to 1,000 miles from where he lives in Sushan, the palace, with the Persians. So he's in captivity like every other Israelite. But all the Israelites are scattered and, you know, throughout every land, right? So, um, yeah, so just from the get-go. Like Nehemiah's gonna, he's thinking that he's gonna hear something good, something motivating, something that he's gonna be able to praise God for. But he hears something disturbing and it causes him to mourn and weep. And that's the first thing we need to do is mourn and weep of our sins. Like it's no, it's no joking around with our sins, right? So we're gonna be talking about that in this video. And I want to start off talking about uh James chapter four, verse three, right? So James chapter four, verse three, it reads, and let me share my screen while I read it. So everybody has a visual. James chapter four, verse three reads, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Like Nehemiah is about to ask God for something big. He's about to ask him for the impossible, right? He's about to ask him for something that, that hasn't been done in 150 years. Like when the Israelites first, were captives to the Babylonians because of their disobedience, which is why Nehemiah even starts off repenting because he knew 
if we're living in sin, if we're living in disobedience, if we're, if we're living how we want to live, we're not going to get God's blessing, right? You don't get you don't get rewards for doing wrong, right? <laughs> you yeah. don't, and some people think you can you can live like that and just get and God's a genie and he can just give you what you want if you ask. We just read in James chapter four when you ask and you you do not receive. You want to know why you don't receive God's blessing? You want to know why you don't have a close relationship with God? You want to know why you don't think you you know you, you want to know why you feel like God is so distant? You want to know why? Like you never see God at work in your life or anything because you're lazy and you don't follow God's word when it comes to putting the work and you're a partaker and you have a part to play and prayer doesn't replace laziness and all that stuff. I mean, you want to know why you don't get any blessing because you have the wrong motives behind what you're asking God. You you want to spend what you want to spend your selfish pleasures on something instead of actually obeying God and putting in the work. And doing what God called you to do because serving God is hard work, it ain't easy. He's gonna call you to do things you don't want to do, and you gotta surrender that. And so Nehemiah is a good example. Nehemiah is gonna eventually have to ask the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. He already said no to Ezra 15 years before to the same question. He's about to ask the king, and he's still convicted enough to ask the king in this chapter, like you know, I want to go re rebuild help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, I want to help rebuild the gates of Jerusalem. But King Artaxerxes, the same king he's going to ask him, I already said no to this 15 years before to Ezra, right? So what's going to happen when Nehemiah asks? So he's in an impossible situation. It's also an impossible situation because uh, the king of Persia doesn't care for the Israelites, doesn't care for the people of God. Like, they're captives. They're just people that were intertwined and now are affiliated with the Persians now. So yeah, that's a good summary. I just have to get a little sad now. But, like, let's talk about confession. Justin, you can add anything you want to give a summary before we go in. No, like, uh, I think this, uh, this kind of ties into what we're going to talk to you about for confession as well. But just for when we look at verse 6 as well, like, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. I feel like that's something, like, Nehemiah is very aware that he's talking to somebody. That he's talking to an all-powerful God. That's Sean was saying like he's praying for something impossible. He wouldn't bring up something impossible unless he really believed there was someone on the other end of that prayer who could do it. And I feel like that's a problem with our prayers sometimes is maybe it just makes us feel good or we we kind of do it half-heartedly. But we need to be very aware that our prayers and confessions need to be raw. We... Like, we're not praying just because it's one of the things to check off a list. Like, Nehemiah is acutely aware that he wants a, a prayer answered, and that's how we need to go into it as well. Like, when we are making confessions, and I'll hold off on some of the material for later, but when we're making confessions, we don't just kind of sugarcoat it or say, oh, yeah, if you could forgive me for some of my sins. No, we need to be very we need to acknowledge these sins as well. Like if you look through the book of Lamentations, man, that's such a, it, it's kind of a book because, but it goes through everything they had to when someone sinned or if a priest sinned or if an elder sinned, like they took sin very seriously. And so what we should be doing as well, we don't need to be going to God with a half-hearted prayer. We need to go to God with a very open heart, with, like our true selves exposed because if we go to him with a mask he can't do anything with that like
What's he going to do? Change the mask? No, we have to show ourselves, and that's how he changes ourselves. Yeah, so, so, so today we're going to focus on verse 6 through 11, and we're about to really like hone in on confessing your sins, right? What does true confession look like? Because this is why God even did anything for Nehemiah, because think about it. Nehemiah is about to ask God for the impossible, right? Which is ask, coming into the king's heart to allow the king to uh, let him help to rebuild the walls and gates of Jerusalem because the king has all the resources to do it in a quick amount of time. If the Israelites did it by themselves and with the resources they have, it would have took forever and they probably wouldn't even be able to do it with all the nations and all the enemies of God trying to stop them. Because remember, Israel's around all the other nations, the Adamites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, like they're around everybody. Like, so, <laughs> and they were never, all those other nations would never let them rebuild anything. They liked the Israelites and their, their depressing and awful situation so that they could take advantage of the Israelites, right? For all the victories they can pass over them. But anyways, let's go to verse six. So Nehemiah chapter one, verse six, let, let thine ear and thy eyes open that thou may hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thou servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. All right, so I want to focus in on that last part. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned, right? So Nehemiah, he's so humble in so many ways. You know, <laughs> we see that Nehemiah uses the word I, we, and are. Our, you know, our, right? In verse six, right? He says, we have sinned against you. I am my father's house, right? He realized that all of them were guilty and that means himself included. So do you feel the same way? Like, a lot of, I still remember one, some, a lot of people I met, but one of my close friends from my childhood said that he doesn't think that he sins, right? He, 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 think, he don't think he ever sinned, right? So is that a true confession, right? God give you, you know, can you see God at work in your life if your heart's not even right towards that? And you don't see yourself as what you really are, right? Which is a sinner, somebody that's weak, that needs God and needs to be dependent on him for everything, right? That you're not perfect. You don't have it all figured out. You don't know everything, right? That's the first step. This is why God could do anything for Nehemiah or any great saint you see in the Bible, because they're willing to say, the truth, right? That, you know, in on this earth, in this life, none of us are have arrived and none of us are there yet, right? So Nehemiah was willing to put himself in the same light as all the people of God who are all scattered, who are all in the same situation, scattered and captives and not in Jerusalem. And even if they were in Jerusalem, it said there was a remnant in Jerusalem in verse three, yet they were living in constant fear. And they were embarrassed and constant reproach, right? And it, so that's not how God's people should be living. That's not what God intended and wanted for them. Like that wasn't God's best. God can do better than that, right? So Nehemiah even knew that. So he linked himself with this group of people and he knew that God could do more for his people and wanted to do more. That's the thing, because he knew the promises of God, yeah. right? So he knew the word. So do you know the word, right? Do you know the promises of God? So you can hold God accountable to what he's doing and how he, you know, how he's operating this life. If it's not glorifying him and you know it, right? So 
That's to be our goal, right? So that's a life application right there. So many people in the church. Let's just focus on the church. It don't even matter what the world doing. Everybody want to judge the world. No, don't don't worry about the world. We got enough problems in the church, right? God called the church to judge the church, not not the world. Don't worry about the world. That's not they're gonna do what they want to do. That's Satan's dominion. Let's talk about God's dominion, the church, right? So in the church, everybody wants to leave a church if one little hiccup or one little bad thing happened, right? And then they play the blaming game, right? So instead of helping out the church, they just want to blame the church. What did Nehemiah do? He could have did the same thing. The, the, it, the God's people is the church, right? So the Israelites are essentially the church, right? If you're saved, you're part of the church. So what does it look like if Nehemiah just blamed the church for all the reasons why they're in captivity and in Jerusalem is the way that it is, and I'm not living in Jerusalem because of you? What is that going to solve? Like, you know, like, <laughs> and then in the church, people do the same thing. Like, they, they play the blaming game, and, you know, because of the pastor. You know, pastor ain't doing his role. That's why the church is the way that it is. You know, the stewards, man, that steward was awful, so I won't be a part of that church. I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> did Nehemiah do that? Like, Nehemiah didn't play the blaming game or, or you know, Try to say that the reason there's a problem is because of you, you, you. No, it's because of everybody. Because we're a body of Christ. So when one member's lacking, we all lack. When my thumb hurts, actually, let's talk about this. Um, I got a, a metal splinter, a little metal splinter in my middle finger right here. And I couldn't see it. I don't know if you ever had a splinter you can't see before. So I couldn't pluck it out. I can't see it to get it. So I had it in there for for almost like nine months. And then eventually, you know, you get new skin every day, just about, you know about that. So it, it just came out by itself. I didn't know, and I, but I had faith, like something was like that was going to happen. So, or maybe it just went in my skin. Hopefully it didn't do that, but I don't think it did. <laughs> but, but anyways, like now I don't feel anything. Like if I go like this, I'm good. But at that time, if I just rubbed up on a surface like this, eventually I will feel the splinter. Like, you know how you feel splinters, but it's a metal splinter. So it's even worse. So it's even more pain. My whole body would stop. My whole body would ache. My whole body would do whatever it takes to make sure this little muscle, this little finger, this little middle finger would never feel that pain. My mind, that's the first thing my mind would say to my body. Let's be cautious of this little little finger, even though it's little and insignificant, and I don't really do anything with my left hand. It's still viable. I still do stuff with my left hand. I still need it, right? That's the body of Christ, right? So the, it, when one member's off, and one member's lacking, we all are lacking. And we all should do what it takes to fix the problem in the body of Christ, in the church. So this is me, how Nehemiah's motive, right? We're all messed up. We're all screwed up. We're all weak. When everybody, when one member's weak, we're all weak. When one member's happy, we're all happy. So instead of rejecting the church, instead of rejecting that member, we need to do whatever it takes to help that member up. Now, this is just talking about the body of Christ. I ain't talking about the world. Your mission ain't to say the world. Did Jesus... Jesus saved the world, but you know what I'm saying? Like, now everybody wants to be saved. Now everybody can be saved, right? So you got to want it, right? So, Justin, I'll let you go, man. <laughs> I I love that Splinter story, though. I'm going to steal that sometime. Yeah. But it's, a, yeah, and I want to, I actually want to ask us, like, why why is Nehemiah, like, why is it so important that Nehemiah confess his sins before he starts into the prayer? And that goes back into what Sean was saying, that God is not a magic genie. That just grants you wishes like he god wants a um inside change before there's an outward change like he, he doesn't care about the pharisees who um put bible verses all over their body or 
pray out loud so people see what they're doing and see how holy they are. Jesus called them whitewashed tombstones. They're dead on the inside, but God wants us to be clean on the inside first. That's why Nehemiah and Jesus's um, prayer have so many parallels. Like first, they recognize how great of a God is our God. And then second, they confess their sins. And that's important because that's the mindset that God wants first. He wants us to be, he cares more about our souls than like what material things or what we have to ask for. Not that he doesn't care about what we ask for, but it's more important to him that he has our hearts and our souls before our bodies and before anything else. So it's easier to do that. Like we, we try to make ourselves right with God. Like we don't, we humble ourselves. We don't think that we are already perfect or that we don't sin anymore because that's, that doesn't put us right with God at all. That doesn't put us on the same wavelength. That, that's before we can ask God anything, we need to be on the same Like we on earth as it is in heaven, we want what God wants first before we just start wishing and uh, making wishes all the time. So I think that's, I think it's so important that we draw that parallel that um, Nehemiah did the exact same thing as Jesus. First, he praised God, and then he tried to recognize um, what divided us from God. And that's a big thing, too. That goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve used to have a direct link to God. They used to have a direct uh, relationship with God. But what's, what's dividing us now? It's like sin. It's the sin that we constantly... Um, constantly jump into ourselves the sin that we constantly choose to follow instead of God. So in order, before we can connect to God, before we can ask him of anything, like we need to confess, we need to uh, try to build a bridge that sin has, has caused. And first things first, we have to recognize what those sins are and confess those to God. Sometimes we don't even know what those sins are. We, we just need to say, like Nehemiah, we've sinned. Uh, my people have sinned. My father's family has sinned. So we have to, even if we don't know what those sins are, like we have to bring that to God. I think that's super important before. That's why confession is so important. Not just because it'll help us get what we want, but because it builds up a relationship with God first. Yeah. Man, we turned this up more than I thought, man. When I, I didn't think it was going to be good this stuff. good. Right. Like we about to like we haven't even got anywhere yet. We're just getting started, man. Like I want to, I, I want to say this. Usually how it goes, and then one hour later we haven't even gotten to the second verse. <laughs> We're about to get there. About to, yeah, we're getting there today, man. Like I want to speed it up, but, but um, yeah, I'm gonna add to what you just said, man. Like confessing your sins is a prerequisite to everything, and I want to show you an example of prerequisite. So I'm a if you want to know what I do for work right now i'm a software manual tester a uh quality assurance tester a manual qa functional tester you guys get it that's my role so i just test what developers do and make sure before it goes to the client or before it goes live that the pro that is meeting the requirements that the business wants to make the developers and our team look good right so i just base i'm a middleman between the business and the test the developers essentially that's what a QA tester does, right? So here goes a qualification to be a QA tester. Can anybody be a QA tester, right? Can any, like, this is a prerequisite. You want blessings? There's prerequisites behind it. What's a cool prerequisite? I know you guys can barely see it, right, Justin? So let me make it bigger. 
So yeah. All right. So a qualification better, Justin. Oh yeah, that's better. All right. So a qualification here is three years experience as a QA analyst, a manual tester. Now that doesn't mean that you could be a, I mean maybe an automation tester because that's basically a, a, a manual tester as well. That just means you do development work as a tester and you you bulk tests you know through, through development basically so load tests that's already coded all you gotta do is press click on a button and it does like 10 or 20 tests at once that would take me time to do manually like all 20 tests manually which would take forever right so but that's that's the prerequisite three years work experience now most of the time it's the three years that they really mean eight they really mean 10 like that's your competition right so if you got three years work experience you better know really like just certain things that a QA tester knows, like, you know, you need to know what are the different methodologies of testing, right? Smoke testing, functional testing, regression testing, integration testing. There's a lot. Like if you don't know those things, when I ask, you're not getting the job, right? That's just something simple. Now explain a test script, like make a test case right now. What are some things in a test case? Like not the average Joe doesn't know that. So that's how I would know if you have three years work experience as a QA tester. You know, like actually do it for me, right? <laughs> and they'll even give you like a test scenario to do a bachelor's degree. You got to go to college. You got to have a bachelor's degree. They didn't say associates. Mm-hmm. Now, the only workaround for that is if you have certifications, which will, which will basically be the equivalent of a bachelor's degree. But even for a corporate job, you still need a bachelor's degree unless you got 10 years work experience and four certifications and you know more than me. Like that guy. How many years experience I got? I got like six now. So like, but these are prerequisites. You guys get it. There's prerequisites in a, in a job, in a job description, like or for any job. You don't just get your foot in the door and can get any job. Can you get any job in the world? No. Can you be president of the United States? You know what I'm saying? Like right now, there's a prerequisite behind it. Like <laughs> Trump was the only anomaly, but he had prerequisites. Like he had money and he fame. Like so. <laughs> yeah, man. So the same thing in the Christian life, man. Like. Confessing your sins, repenting, that's getting your foot in the door to, to get closer to God. Because it's all about relationship with God. It's all about being in right communion with God. That's all God cares about. Yeah. And you're not going to be in right communion. You're not going to be in right relationship if you think you're perfect and can do everything by yourself. That sounds like the devil, right? The devil thought the same thing. That's why, yeah, he, ain't, you know, that's why he ain't going to heaven. Like, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's pride. pride. The most prideful creature that ever exists is the devil. And you're being like your father, the devil. That's why Jesus said that to people like that. So, yeah, man, I just want to throw that out there. But anyway, so let's keep on going, man. So uh, what I'm talking about, Nehemiah is humble, obviously. Like you confess your sins, you're very humble. So the prayer that Nehemiah says, it wouldn't seem as genuine if he kept on saying how evil other people were, how evil the Israelites were, right? If he was more focused on other people's sins than himself. And a lot of Christians live like that. We're going to do, me and Justin are about to start a series called Don't Judge or something like that. We're going to talk about judging people. And I'm going to use people, I'm going to use examples of DMs that I've got that are just off wall and people judging me. <laughs> and they don't even know me. And this is a great example. The Christian life is a self-reflection. The Bible's a mirror. A mirror, yes, a mirror is used for me and you, but a mirror, the Christian life, and on Judgment Day, it's just about you. It ain't about God going to ask you about what you did for, you know, Sean. Why would you leave Sean hanging? Like, you know, 
He's not going to ask, you know, he's not going to just focus on other people, you know, on your judgment day. He's going to focus on you, right? That's why in the Bible it says examine yourself, test yourself, make sure you're right in the faith. And this is one of the reasons, one of the ways to make sure you're right in the faith. Are you humble? Are you genuine? Are you confess? Are true? Are you truly confessing your sins? Nehemiah is. He's truly humble. Like he's not worried about other people more than he's worried about himself. That's what people do that judge people and just live their lives condemning and belittling and focus on everybody else except for working on themselves. The only people who judge other people like that are unhappy people and people that don't have the love of God in them and they just live their lives just to judge, 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 because they don't believe God's the only judge. Like. <laughs> Your job's not to judge, man. Nehemiah, he ain't like that. All right, let's keep on going. I can't be focusing on that point. So we were later seeing the book of Nehemiah that many, many of the Israelites committed a lot of sins that Nehemiah did not, right? But he still repented because he he saw himself as sinful too, right? This is a true child of God, man. Even though your sin isn't as great in your mind or in the world's eyes as everybody else, you still know that you need Jesus too, right? So when one wants to confess to God, there should be no blaming or pointing fingers. A lot of people live to point their fingers and blame other people, right? And just focus on other people, again, instead of themselves. But the Christian life is about self-reflecting and making sure that you're ready to meet the maker. It's making sure that you're on right standing with God. It's making sure that you're working on what you need to work on for God. Because another thing, fun fact, if you judge other people and you're always judging other people, you want to know a fun fact? It's a mirror. Right. So whatever you're judging and real critical about other people is what you struggle with. It's what you're insecure about. It's what you need to work on. That's the Bible, man. You, that's true confession. So that means you're not confessing your sin if you're worried about everybody else. Let's talk about Adam and Eve. Man, I'm speaking facts. I didn't think it would be this good. Just, just <laughs> yeah, man, this, this is good. It's fine. Right. Like uh, when people first sin. So when Adam and Eve first sinned in the Bible, right, Adam pointed a finger at and blamed Eve, and then Eve pointed to the snake and blamed the snake, right? But both, all of them, Adam and Eve, even, even the snake, they were all culpable for their own sin, for what they had done. So although Eve and Adam were influenced by the snake, and I don't know what the snake was influenced by, you know, basically by the, you know, the fun of hurting other people and bringing other people to hell. <laughs> but anyways, like, the whole point is you everybody has to take responsibility for their sins. You know, no one can make you sin, right? Nobody can force you to sin. We are all responsible for our own choices, right? So it's not true confession. This is my first point, which took forever to get to. It's not true confession if we seek to blame other people for the wrong that we have done. So a lot of psychiatrists and your friends and even the world, when they they like to tell you what you like to hear, and they just say, like, you know, it's your it's your parents' fault for the way you are, you know, or it's your boss's fault, you know, it's your wife's fault, it's your friend's fault. But no, it's not any of their faults. <laughs> Each of us had a choice before we made the mistake that we did. We all have made mistakes. That's how you know you're a sinner. Have you ever made a mistake before? Have you ever hurt someone before? You're a sinner, right? You need Jesus too, right? <laughs> so <laughs> other people may have influenced us in the choice that we made. But our final, our final decision is our own fault, right? So true confession, again, takes personal responsibility and doesn't blame other people, right? So that's verse six, man. Dang. You're right, Justin. 30 minutes, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything for that, man? Yeah, I think it's, uh, 
I think it's important to recognize like uh, circumstances versus consequences. Like sometimes, yeah, you get dealt some bad circumstances, but a lot of times it's consequences of your own action. Like Sean is right. It's the Christian life is all about reflection and looking inwardly at yourself. We are so bent out of shape about what other people are doing. And there's a fine line between that. We do want to make sure that our government or our society try to follow like God's commandments. But we have to understand like sometimes that's their own choice. We have to be worried about like what are we doing? Like how are we how are we living? Like sometimes we can only affect like a bubble of people, the sphere of people that are around us. We can't worry about people that are outside of it. God brings the right people into our lives to influence or to reach out to. We don't have to worry too much about like oh toppling over the government or anything like that or toppling over Caesar as it was back in biblical times. Um, and a lot of disciples were worried about that. We just have to worry about us first. And we we can't help others until we help ourselves. And that's a big part of about confession as well. Is we have to clean ourselves up before we can like uh, go to God with those type of things. We can't blame other people. We can't be blaming the government. We can't be blaming society. Yeah, they have their own problems, but a lot of times, um, a lot of our problems could come from ourselves first, and we have to be worried about that. Like, being married now, I'm very, I kind of recognize that I have to worry about my household, like my wife and myself first, before I worry about the neighbors or anything else. And that's a big part about, that. first and foremost, if I want to be a spiritual leader, I have to cleanse myself with the help of Jesus. I have to confess my sins. Gosh, like, it's, I, I can't add on to anything Sean has said. He's pretty much like, it every nail on the head, like, we have to clean ourselves before we build up a relationship with God. And the important thing before that is we have to recognize we have a lot of problems to begin with. We can't be pointing at other people. What's that thing they say? If you point at one person, three fingers are pointing back at you. Yeah. Man, that's so true. So there, there's a good balance of watching out for other people, but watching out for yourself. And But during this study, we, we are recognizing that, man, we have to watch out for ourselves first. We have to, uh, we have to take the piece of wood out of our eyes before we're taking specks out of anyone else's. And that's a, that just amazes me about Nehemiah as well. It's like Sean was saying it's not there. It's not, it wasn't his sin specifically, but it was like all the other Israelites that he had to, that he was asking forgiveness for. And that's crazy for me. Like if, like for me, <laughs> I, I, I won't try to be a hypocrite for once in my life. For me, like I I I will always blame people kinda if they if I feel like it was their fault. Like um and if my brother or my wife like lose something, I'll be I'll be right on top of them and say, guys, well if you just kept it in the place that I put for you, you wouldn't have lost it. But man, that's like does that actually help the situation? No. The the keys are the wallet don't get found any faster. Like um like if I if I actually stopped to help them or like made a better decision for myself, I can't change them. I can't change their habits. I can only affect what I do. And blaming them does not help. Problem. So how we react to our sin is like first and foremost the foundation for our confessions.
It's crazy that you said that because lately I've been checking myself, man. Like I saw, I've been like, for example, I thought somebody moved something on the table and I was playing a blaming game. Like who moved my stuff? Like John, I actually, like who moved my stuff? <laughs> like I really thought about it. Like when I was in the shower, I was like, okay, Sean, let's, let's think really like, did anybody move the stuff or did I move it? Like, it was like the spirit was talking yeah. to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was me. I moved it this day, two days ago. Told myself I moved it, but then forgot. Then I had to God to blame somebody else. And that's the way it is, guys. In the Christian life, when you're judging other people, the problem's really you, right? Because you shouldn't be so consumed and worried about what other people are doing. Like, and Justin said that earlier. Like, we've really been painting that picture. Like, if you're not doing what you need to do for God, and getting right with God and everything like that. A lot of Christians think like you're going to get brownie, brownie points or something for judging other people. You know, like you're going to, you know, please God by you're going to way. You're going to way. You know, you know, argue, right? But then you'll never work on yourself. That doesn't please God. Like, because you can only reach people as much as God has reached you. That's where it starts. It starts with you, right? God cares about you. He's worried about you. He ain't worried about them. Yes, he is for them, but not for you. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it starts with you. Like, if you want to really help people, help yourself and let God help you. Right? So, like, that's Matthew chapter 7, man. Like, but get the, you know, don't judge. A lot of atheists, a lot of people that don't believe about it, quote that real quick. Right? People that are living in sin, they quote that real quick. Don't judge. Right? Why? Because... You know, you're taught worried about somebody else's uh spec when you got a whole log, you got a lot of work to do yourself, right? And the more you judge people, just shows how much work you need to do. And that's true, true, that's not true confession, right? True confession is you know the offense that you did, and we're gonna be talking about that. Let's go ahead and get to it, man. Justin, we're killing it, man. Like, you're right, we're gonna take a while. So, let's go to verse seven. <laughs> But I really want to finish this today, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be chucking the moving quick. Yeah, we'll work on. Yeah, we'll we'll go. We'll get there. All right. So Nehemiah chapter one verse seven. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. We have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which which thou commanded thou servant Moses. All right. So we're gonna focus on. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and we're gonna focus on that last part, which thou commanded thou servant Moses. Right. All right, so uh, let me go to my notes. This is why I need a, a supervisor or somebody, receptionist and all that stuff. All right, so I'm going to talk about don't minimize your sin, right? This is literally what we've been talking about the whole time. Like everything about to build up like crazy. So true confession doesn't minimize sin, right? And we all tend to do. Let's be honest. Like when it comes to your sin, you're a good judge. No, you're a good lawyer for your sin. You're, you're, yeah. you're a good lawyer. And can really make a case for your sin. But for other people's sin, you're the greatest judge. <laughs> Notice that Nehemiah doesn't say, you know, we have sinned against thee a little. Like, you know, he doesn't, he, he says we have acted very corruptly. He's not minimizing sin, you know. There's there's a sin problem, which was not a little problem, right? So he saw every sin that they did as huge. Like that some people would think that was nothing. But no, this these sins that Israel did cost them separation from God. This, this, these sins that Israel did, their disobedience, 
led them to the situation that they're in, right? And that's so true for so many of us. The reason why you got so many problems in your life right now, the reason why nothing's going your way is because we have dealt very corruptly against the, you know, against the Bible, right? So, you know, do you think that you're sin? Okay, let me ask a few questions. Do you feel as if you do not sin? That's the first question, like my childhood friend. Or if you do believe that you sin, is your sin serious? Which again, everybody's a good lawyer for their sin, but they're a good judge for other people's sin. All right, so yeah, so I'll, I'll just let people marinate on that. Um, but yeah, basically all I'm trying to say is all sin is serious. And that's really hard to say, especially for myself, because, you know, again, a good lawyer for my sin, right? But we're, we're called not to minimize our sin, because you don't know what that sin can lead to. It can lead to a stronghold on your life that's going to be hard to get out of. You don't want to give the, the devil an inch, right? Because you give him an inch, you're going to take a mile. You're going to take a whole football field, right? It's going to become a stronghold for you. So don't ever justify sin. Don't ever entertain sin. Don't compromise. Don't play with it. Don't minimize it. Don't do any of that, right? And so verse 7, again, at the very end, it says, and have not kept the commandments which you commanded your servant Moses, right? So Nehemiah says these words, obviously. So an apology is clear. Right. That's my first point. Another point I have is a real apology must include what you are apologizing for. So true confession includes the offense. So how many times have you repented of your sins, but you were very vague about it? Like you weren't really specific. It's a sin to do that. Right. You know, are you specific about what you're repenting about? Nehemiah was pretty specific. Right. I mean, he's, he kind of says sins of all of all of us. Let's be honest, he don't know all those sins because he didn't do all of them, right? So like, <laughs> he can only confess the sins that he has done and make sure that he's right with God, right? That's true confession, right? So are you specific about what you are repenting for, For you know, what you are repenting for with God when you pray, right? So the Israelite sin wasn't some vague mistake. It wasn't vague at all. You know, the problem was that they had, as a nation, specifically disobeyed many of the commands God had given Moses, which... Nehemiah mentioned in verse 7 what we just read. So a real apology is not a vague sorry. It is, it's not an insincere like, uh, it's not insincere like, you know, somebody saying, sorry if I offended you. Like, and that's all they say, right? So, yeah, we got to stop being unclear and unsure and uncertain about the stuff we're apologizing for. We need to know God's law and know what, we were, what we're struggling with and confess it. And that's another problem. That's going back to judging other people. You know what other people's sins are by looking at them, but when it comes to yourself, you don't read the Bible enough and spend time enough with God for yourself to know what you're struggling with and what you need to work on. Because you spend time enough in that Bible and spend enough time with God, right? You're going to know what you need to work on. But that's the problem. A lot of people don't do that. They don't spend time with God enough to know. To, to, to They don't spend time. See, the Bible's a mirror, right? That's what the Bible says. It's a mirror. You don't spend time enough in the mirror to get the stuff, to to make sure that you're right with God, right? Because the Bible's a mirror. So you don't spend enough time in the Bible looking at the mirror look, to fix what you need to fix on yourself. So you're so consumed at looking at the mirrors that you see walking around and yeah, all that stuff. You guys get it. So yeah, let's make it a habit to confess to others and to God when we wrong them and when uh, we do make it clear what we are apologizing for. So, all right. So I'll, that's that's all I got to say, Justin. You got anything with that? Yeah, I'm just gonna. This is the only thing I have to say, too. While you're talking about not minimizing our sins, I want to say, like, we don't need to minimize God's sovereignty as well. Mm. Because Nehemiah is really putting on point how important 
God's commandments and statutes are and the fact that we haven't followed them. Like today's society, maybe I shouldn't even start with society. We know society's kind of divulged away from God. Like for ourselves, like we try to figure out what is good for ourselves. Instead of figuring out, instead of realizing that God is good, sometimes we'll, we'll lift up our own fantasy of what should be good and take that at face value. And the problem with that is like everyone will suddenly have their own definition of good. Everyone will have their idea of how we should be acting. And then that's the, if everyone's doing what they think is right, the body isn't going to be able to move. Like taking the analogy that Sean was using, that body's going to be all out of whack. Everyone's going, the body of Christ is going to try to be doing their own thing. We have our own standards, but God has set the standard. Like God has actually made this easier for us by taking on the burden of figuring out what is good and evil. Like that's a, that's really the curse that Adam and Eve gave us is they decided to take on that decision themselves by figuring out what is good and what is evil by eating that apple. Um, so now we have this burden of trying to figure out what is good, what is not good, and then just sinning all over the place. But like God has already allowed a way out for us. He's already given us his word. He's already given us his commandments. So we know what's best for us. Like he doesn't give it to us just to make our lives miserable or to remind us how we always fail. He gives it to us because like that's truly the way to live a, a pure life. Like every sin that we do does corrupt our soul. It affects us emotionally and spiritually. Um, and it builds up over time. Like we can justify our sins as Sean was saying, but those do build up all the time. But I really think the reason that we justify our sins is because we've decreased the sovereignty that is God. We've decreased the importance of his commandments to live a good Christ-like life. So I think both of those are important. And that's something Nehemiah has really encapsulated is he realizes that all the wicked things are anything that is not a part of God, not a part of his commandments, not a part of his statutes. Man, this is a deep study, man. We're about to really go into mm -hmm. this, this part right here. So, like, my next point with true confession, because that's what this video is all about. What does it mean to truly confess your sins and really confess your sins to God? So, true confession realizes that sin comes with consequences. So, Poor choices leads to difficulties. So when you're disobedient to God's word, it's only going to lead to pain and suffering and lead to, lead you down roads you could have avoided if you just would obey God, right? And this is what the Israelites faced right here in this time period in 444 BC in Nehemiah's time period. They're all scattered, so they're all in pagan nations, people who don't give a dang about the God of Israel. doesn't even They, they think that the God of Israel is just another God. A matter of fact, this guy's dead because look at the situation in in his city, the holy city, right? Like in Jerusalem, like they're living in shame. They're, the gates and the walls are unprotected. So the people are unprotected by their God. That's what they associate their city with, the wall and the protection and the how the city thrives, how powerful that God is. So that guy was nothing like to the other nations. And Nehemiah knew that that's not our God, man. Our God's the strongest and the baddest God. He's the only God. All the rest of these gods are false, 
right? But the other nations got it in the Israelites' heads, and the Israelites even fell for it too, just like Americans in the day's time period. Christians in, in America got it twisted. What, what it means to serve God, what does it mean to truly be a Christian? You know, what does it mean to truly uh obey the, the, the Bible or you know, you don't have to be obey the Bible to be a Christian. We're sinners, so you, we justify it. You know, it's okay to, to to sin. You know, God still loves us; He's forgiving. So many times, people's difficulties are a result of poor choices in their lives. So that's not always the case. We're going to talk about two different sides of that. Because Justin, I know you were going to go there because you went there before. So uh, here goes a question for everybody: Can you think of any examples where our own sins and mistakes have cost you a trial or hardship? Right. Good example is you know marriages fail because of sin of one or both of the parties, pride, like just the first thing, not being forgiving. Because full alert for a marriage to work, you know how forgiving you gotta be. The person gonna make mistakes you're married to, like nobody's perfect. Are you willing to forgive like God is forgiving you, right? Peter asked, "How many times should we forgive somebody?" Jesus, seven. He thought that was a lot. No, seventy times seven, which that number you're gonna forget. If you keep count, because that's a lot of times of somebody messing up, like <laughs> you're just gonna quit counting, and that's the whole point. Like you should be forgiving, right? That's just one example. Marriage just fell because of a sin of one or both of the parties, right? That's why relationships fail too. Right? Anyways, a son or a daughter won't speak to his his or her parents many times because of the mistakes of that parent. You know, a student continually fails their exam. So they eventually miss a chance to pass a class because they didn't study hard enough, right? Or they didn't ask questions when and they were lost and they stayed lost. You, there's not a reward for that, guys. Like, then you wonder why. There's no why. Like, we're partakers. Do the work, right? Relationships take work, right? A family loses their home and everything they own because of poor financial choices and getting in too much debt. I mean, debt. A person goes to jail because of a lapse of judgment in which he drank too much or drove and ran somebody over. Like, there's a lot of examples that we can give, right? So true confession realizes that sin comes with consequences. So blaming other people ain't the answer. It's about realizing what we need to do better, right? So instead of blaming others for our problems, we should realize that our own sin has brought us to this low, right? Confess those sins and seek to make it right with what we did wrong, right? So it's really... Mind-boggling to me how nobody, some people think they don't sin. Because that's like saying you don't make a mistake in your marriage. Like, oh, you know your partner got something to say. If you had a divorce and you don't think you sin, you don't think you sin, you had a divorce. All right. <laughs> so many times in these situations that I mentioned earlier, people grow bitter because, of, you know, bad these bad things happen, right? So they'll complain and get depressed and grow angry at other people. They'll even lash out at God. But that's the wrong response again, Right. We need to learn how to confess our sins, to mourn and weep, right, over the mistakes that we made so that God can pick us up when we're down. We're going to talk about that at the very end of the video. I'm going to wait. But, Justin, you, you, you got it, man, because I know you're going to go. I know where you're going to go. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, I don't know. You kind of already hit the big point that I was going to say. But, yeah, it's like um, it's very easy to blame uh our circumstances on things as well and i remember sean was like texting me about this one person who uh pm'd him about how um they were asking like why do bad things happen to good people and like sometimes it really is just circumstances and like we have to recognize that we do live in a broken world 
Well, we don't blame God for that. But at the same time, yeah, we have to recognize sometimes our sin has brought us to the point that we are. Sometimes we might have lived in a way that it was our responsibility. We might have lived in a way that was not what God intended for us. And then we're asking, where are my blessings? Like, well, how did I get here? It's like the Bible is very explicit that blessings come to those who follow God. And like, if we don't follow him, like if we, if we go into this, I'm going to bring it back to the beginning. If we go into this, just asking for God for stuff for like physical things or for outward things, that's missing the whole point of the inward change that God wants from us. Uh, that's, that's not true confession right there. And we have to, we can't minimize the sins that we gave as well. Like we have to be very raw. I'm going to combine what I said at the beginning and what Sean just said. Like, we have to be raw with, like, what we've done. We have to own up to it. We have to take relation uh, responsibility for it. Because if we just present to God, like, this perfect Christian facade, um, like, God's not going to change that. What's he going to do with What's he going to do with that? Like, that's not addressing the actual sins. Like, if I, if, if my wife were mad at me, and I'm just said, oh, I'm sorry. And like, she asked me like, why am I sorry? And I just go, oh, well, you're upset. I'm just sorry that you're upset. Like, that's not gonna fly. I have to recognize what I did wrong first because, uh, or vice versa, if she did something wrong, like we want to be able to change ourselves so we have better conflict re resolution so we can click better in our support in our marriage. And same for the sins. We have to recognize what we did wrong and bring that to God. We can't bring a mask to him. We can't bring a facade to him. We have to bring our real, raw selves. Yeah, man. This, this is great, man. This study was way better than what I thought it would be, man. And I was scared to do it, honestly. That's how I know that was the devil, man, just trying to get us not to uh, not to let God talk, man, because this stuff's powerful. But let's go ahead and go to verse 8. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, I, I beseech thee, the word that thou commanded thou servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. All right. So let me go to my notes. I wish I just knew my notes by heart, but I don't because I did this a while ago. So, all right. So in verse eight, we see Nehemiah admits that the problem, the problems that the Israelites faced as a nation were a direct result of God's discipline for their sin. Right. So one of my points is this doesn't mean that all trials are a result of sin, right? So we talked about that before in one of our previous videos in the book of Nehemiah. So I'll show our playlist of the book of Nehemiah chapter one and the book of Nehemiah. Like I have a lot of playlists on my YouTube channel of everything that we, me and Justin did. So in previous videos, me and Justin talked about that. So in, in uh, John chapter nine, we learn of a story of a blind man, right? So, and we learned that in the story of a blind man that not every affliction is a result of sin. You know, there are many possible reasons for the predicaments and the trials and the hardships that people face, right? So in the case of Israel, you know, God already told them that this was the, the, the result that they're in, the reason why they're scattered and in captivity to the Persians and were captives to the Babylonians and the reason why they're living in reproach in Jerusalem and the walls are down and they have no city really and they're not thriving was because their sin, because of their sin. And he was just disciplined them, right? And that's for every believer. Like, you know, 
you should know them by their fruit. So if you have bad fruit, it's because you don't know God. If you have bad fruit, it's because you're not his child. If you have bad fruit and no good fruit at all, you're not attached to the vine. Because that can't happen when you're attached to him. When you're truly confessing your sins and you're already and you're really trying to draw near to him. You know, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you, right? So I'm going to read John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, you know, what we were talking about. So it says, as he went along, he saw a man born uh, born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, because this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that's going back to what Justin said, that person that asked me that question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? So God can get the glory. We don't know what that glory is sometimes. It says also in the book of John, the same book, later on, it says, you know, basically it says like there's many things you're not going to know, right? But later on you will, right? There's many things you're not going to understand, but later on you will. That's why we call it faith. That's why we put our faith in God and our trust in God because we know he can be trusted. We know that, you know, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and, and are called according to his purpose. All things, not some things. So even though something horrific happens to somebody and people are going through horrific and awful and really, really bad things, right? Because we, we there's some awful stories for some what some people have to endure. God's still going to get the glory. It's still going to end up being good, even though it's really dark. And it's going to be all worth it. And that's a promise from God. That's not... <laughs> I didn't, I didn't design life. That's just how it is, right? That's what God said through his word. So, um, so it's two ways of looking at it. Um, so I just throw that out there, but all right. So let's go to verse nine. Unless Justin, if you had anything. I actually don't have a lot for this one. What I have ties into nine better. All right, cool. Yeah, let's get to nine, man. All right. So verse nine of Nehemiah chapter one, it reads, but if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Though they, there were of you cast out unto the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. So, Justin, you want to start off because you said you had something for nine. Yeah, I think like a, like a, it just ties in with eight. Like we have to recognize like the commandments of God do have consequences to it. Like um, I use this, I use this example all the time because it's so powerful. Like when King David was moving the Ark of the Covenant in Second Samuel, like Uzzah um, or Uzzah tries to keep it from falling over when it topples over. And then when as soon as he touches it, he dies. And that just is like a, a lot of people I talk to, especially like a lot of my non-believer friends, like say, why would God do something so unfair like that? But we have to recognize like God had very specific instructions on carrying the Ark and king david did not follow any of those like he tried to move it by cart he tried to make things more convenient as soon as someone touched it he died and that's just like a concept we have to take that consequence as seriously as this consequence like if it was saying if we don't follow god we're going to be scattered and that's exactly what he did but nine uh is saying is following up on that saying well if disobeying will scatter us then obeying him like coming to god and obeying him will uh, bring us closer to god i think that that's amazing that nehemiah is has such faith in the word that he can bring this to god but the big part i want to bring for this one is um 
returning to me and obeying my commands. Like notice that it's not just obeying his commands, but first and foremost, God wants us to return to him. Like he wants to build that relationship. And we've kind of already touched on it before, but that's it's so important. It deserves repeating is that sin has divided us from God and he wants us back. Like he's a jealous God. He wants to build that relationship back. So first and foremost, before we start obeying his commands, we have to return to him and build up that relationship ourselves. And as uh, Nehemiah and Jesus have demonstrated in their prayers, a big part of that is confessing and just wiping out, trying to expunge the sins that we have. Because like God is sinless. Like he can't interact with sin. He's perfect. So that's why that's such a deep reason of like, how can we build up a relationship with God again? We return to him and then obeying his commandments. Like we, like God also wants us to lead important, lead lives that are Christ-like. He wants us, this was before Christ was even here, but he wants us to be Christ-like. He wants us to be a holy people. That's why these Old Testament books emphasize the Israelites so much because they're his holy people. They're supposed to be the people that live up to his standard. And in order for us to do that, we have to follow those commands. We have to show that we're different than other people. Like when people see us out on the streets, they won't have time to see how many Bible verses we can quote. They'll see how we lead our lives. And a big part of that is by living lives that God has commanded commanded us. So that's, that's what I like about Nehemiah's knowledge of the Bible. In verse 9, he shows his knowledge by saying, if we follow you, like we will be brought into your presence. Yeah, okay, man. We're almost done, Justin. Like, I, I know for sure we're about to be done in a minute. So I have nothing for verse 10, by the way. I'm only going to add to what you said for verse 9, and then we're on to 11. So if you had anything for 10, I'll let you talk about that. But um, so, yeah, like Justin said, man, we got a good and a merciful God, man. Like, he promises to forgive us if we truly repent. In verse 9, we see that Nehemiah quotes God's promise. This is a promise from God. We know that God, he's not a liar. He's not like man that he doesn't keep his word. Whatever he says, go. If he said it, that settles it. And it's point blank period. It's meant to come to fruition. And nothing can stop his plans. Nothing can thwart, thwart his plans. <laughs> nothing can prevent his plans. It will always happen. And a lot of promises in the Bible have happened which just solidifies and tells us that everything else will happen if it hasn't happened already, which it hasn't. A lot of stuff hasn't, but it will, right? So God is faithful to his word. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises, and we can put our faith and bank in that, right? And that's storing up treasures in heaven. So we see that Nehemiah quotes God's promises to bring them back to the land. If they return to him and keep his commandments, in other words, if they confess and repent. So it's pointless to pray and confess if God then refused to forgive. And that's not our God. Nehemiah knew that God was a merciful God who keeps his promises and will forgive us of any sin, right? No sin. There's no sin that God won't forgive, right? He'll forgive them all. If you just come to him and repent, that's humility. That's true confession. So true confession seeks and claims God's forgiveness. Some people will burn in hell like Judas because they don't think God will forgive them for the mistakes that they made because their mistakes are so awful. And that's a lie from the devil. John In 1 John chapter 1, 
verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. There's not one unrighteousness that you can't be cleansed of. If you come to God and confess your sins, he's faithful and just. He's a good God, man. He's willing to forgive us of our sins. All of us. So the good news for us is that if we are sincere in our repentance to God, he will forgive us. That's the message of Nehemiah chapter one, man. And that's something to praise God about. So the goal of confession is not a pity party. It's not to stay, stay in your sin and to think you can't get out of it. You can get out of any sin, any predicament, any situation you're in in life. All you got to do is seek and claim God's forgiveness. That's true confession. And that's literally what Nehemiah did. The Israelites effed up. I'm going to say it like that. They effed up. <laughs> like they're scattered to enter captives to the Persians. And then Nehemiah has to go to the king of Persia to ask him for the impossible. They're in an awful situation. The king of Persia already said no to Ezra for the same thing Nehemiah's about to ask him for 15 years before or 10 years before. Nehemiah is in an uncomfortable situation, in an impossible situation. And some of us are in an impossible situation, an uncomfortable situation, a situation we can't get out of ourselves because the Israelites could not get out of this situation by themselves. They need a God for this. And God's willing to act for us if we just ask, if we just seek and claim his forgiveness. That's the Bible, man. So instead of rolling around on the ground saying, what was me? I can't get out of this. My life's doomed. Life will never be better than this. God says, I can make a way for you. All you got to do is trust me. That's the book of Nehemiah, man. <laughs> I just found my short video. That's my short video right there. You got anything else, Justin? <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, I just love the part where you said, um, basically, like, we do put God in the box. We feel like what we've done is too terrible to be forgiven. But like that, we have to go into our confessions knowing that God will forgive us. Like he wants us back, first and foremost. And it's a two-way street. He wants us back and we want to have a relationship with him as well. So I think we don't need to go into confessions thinking, oh, we're just terrible people. I mean, we are, but <laughs> that's not the end of it. Like the like in Romans, I think three twenty three or three twenty six, it was saying, um, "For the wages of sin is death." If it just ended there, that'd be super depressing. But the flip side of that coin is that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to recognize, like we are sinful, but God has offered offered us a way out. Man, this study been great, man. I think this is the best yeah, one. Man. <laughs> You had anything for 10? Or you want to go to 11? Uh, let me see what I had for 10. I'll read it while you do that. Just, oh, just uh, no, I don't think I had anything big for 10, actually, as far as confessions go. All right. Yeah, I love 11. 11 is my, you remember in the video, good, yeah. in the video, I was going to ask you for the podcast, just us talking on a recap of Nehemiah. I was going to ask, like, what's your favorite part of Book of Nehemiah Chapter 1? Or just from our studies of Book of Nehemiah Chapter 1? And it's verse 11 for me. So um, I, I'm not going to, I kind of been mentioning what I like about it. Like I kept on doing it, you know, God doing the impossible and stuff like that. But I'll still save it for that video. So I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. All right. So now these are thou servants and thou people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power 
and by thy strong hand. Oh. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thy eye be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thou servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a king's cupbearer. All right, guys. So, like I've been saying, I keep on hinting at it, verse 11, right? Like, verse 11 is so bad. So, it was seen that during Nehemiah's prayer to God, all of verse really 5 through 11, right, that God was working on Nehemiah's heart, beginning to show him what he must right, which was he's going to have to go to the king eventually. And this ain't an easy task like I've been hitting that, but let me really hone in that. Nehemiah would have to ask the king, and, and you don't ask the king for anything, first of all. Like, in order for the king of Persia to come to you or and you don't just, first of all, you don't just approach the king. He has to call for you and you come to his presence. Like, so if you just came randomly to his presence because you wanted to, you, you're going to be like, you're going to be, be killed. You don't just do that with the king of Persia. So he had to call you in and he had to hold up the scepter if he was going to let you talk or not, if you did come in his presence. And you weren't allowed to be sad or say anything gloomy or do anything that wasn't like pleasing to the king or would make him happy because the king has enough problems and he's a god. So you better <laughs> just bring good things to him because he has enough problems serving the kingdom of the lowly people as you know as it is. So um, you know, this whole video has been talking about like true confession, right? And so uh I want to really talk about how the Bible talks about, you know, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, and act on your faith, you know, and faith without works is dead. So while praying and confessing was was a good first step for Nehemiah and for us, you know, this is not the end of God's plan for us or Nehemiah, right? It's not enough for us and for Nehemiah to just recognize a problem, which a lot of people do a good job at, honestly. Like, actually, not that's not even true. Like, a sin to me because I'm black may not be a sin to somebody that's white. Which is sad. Like evil is evil. We should all see evil as it is, right? We shouldn't never justify it. We should never minimize it, right? But we do sometimes. But even if, let's say hypothetically, we all see the sin and see an evil. Like I think most people saw what happened to George Floyd as wrong. So that's a great example. Um, yeah, but just recognizing problems not enough. You know, true confession will cause us to ask the question, "What's next?" What can we do about it? What did God call us to do about it? So God, the next step God requires is action, right? You can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. That's the whole book of Nehemiah chapter one. It, actually, the whole book of Nehemiah in general. Like Nehemiah, yeah, he had a, he he knew what was happening with the Israelites and God's people in God's city in Jerusalem was messed up. All they had was a temple and looters and, and enemies of God, all the pagan nations will come into the temple and steal stuff from the temple of God, right? That's been there for 70 years before Nehemiah's time period. But the whole city was in ruins and all the people lived in tents around the city, all the people of Israel. So the remnant was there, but they were living in constant fear and reproach because people could just come in and steal what they wanted from God's people and everything like that because the walls and the gates were burned and they were down. And this was a problem in Nehemiah. So it wasn't enough for Nehemiah just to pray to God. Nehemiah knew Okay, what can I do about it? What position did God put me in to do something about it? Like, how can I serve God's people with, you know, my life, right? So he, Nehemiah's a type of Jesus. He literally 
came down from his palace, the palace of Susa, like I said in verse one, with the Persians, eight hundred to a thousand miles from Jerusalem. He came from his throne and went to go help God's people. He didn't have to do that. He could have stayed in the palace where it was good and comfortable. He had all the food in the world. He was living in luxury. But no, he wanted to. He had to deal with reproach and deal with constant uh, barbarment, like <laughs> constant enemies, just constant people trying to stop the work that God wanted to do, which was rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gates for the people of Jerusalem to live in peace and not be in constant fear anymore, and for the city to for God's city to thrive again and God's people to thrive again, so that they could live there, so God could be glorified in His city because they got protection, got walls now. You, you know, you guys know what I'm saying. So basically, I'm trying to say, you know, true confession restores. Well, confession restores our relationship to God and ready just to serve Him again. So everything begins and starts and ends with confession, right? And this is what Nehemiah did. And it's crazy because, again, Nehemiah, he wasn't alive 150 years before <laughs> when the Israelites fell to the Babylonians the first time. He wasn't alive before then when they sinned and disobeyed God out of countless kings and countless kingdoms and countless people disobeying God and refusing to serve God. And that was the cost of the reason why they be the cost of the reason why they were even captives to the Babylonians and to the Persians and why Jerusalem's in the situations that they're in and Nehemiah chapter one and all that stuff, man. It wasn't even Nehemiah's fault, yet he confessed. So if you want to see God at work in your life and you want to be a part of God's plan on this earth, man, it starts with confession. So where is your heart? You know, are you do you see yourself what you really are? You know, a sinner in need of a savior. Because Jesus came down to save us all. So what do you think? Because if you don't think that, man, you ain't ready to serve him, man. You're not going to. You think you are, but you're not, right? You're going to be serving your own purposes and stuff like that. So that's the prerequisite, like a job requirement. So like I talked about earlier. So, Justin, you got anything, man? Yeah, I only had like a little bit for this. And I think it's Nehemiah hits a great balance between praying to God for answers, but also doing like he doesn't take action until he prays for months until he's like consulted God and tried to get in his mindset first, which is good because a lot of times we just, we just go, uh, we'll just start running at the first sign of trouble and to, um, and try to fix things ourselves or do stuff ourselves. Um, but God wants us to do it a certain way. But at the same time, he also didn't wait for like a miracle to shoot down from heaven either. Like when God slowly revealed what he was supposed to do, he went out. Like he went to the king to ask permission. He went out to fix the walls and the gates of Jericho. Like after he consulted God, like he was a man of action. And I think he just strikes the perfect balance of what we need to try to do of waiting for waiting to hear from god but also not being like inactive we need to be proactive in a lot of these things and especially now more than ever because the world is the world's pretty much against god like we have to help put we have to be the channel that pushes the kingdom of god in any way that we can so that that's that's the biggest part i saw from verse 11 is just the balance that nehemiah strikes in um being a vessel for God, but also letting God in with his confessions and prayer. Yeah. Man, what a message, man. 
I'll end off the video, man. So the last thing I want to say is me and Justin, let me go ahead and open up this video real quick. Um, but a while ago, let me see what the date was. A while ago, me and Justin, about two months ago, we did a video on trying again, right? So let me share my screen. So this is the video we did, and it was on a quote uh, that I saw. Let me see if I can pop it up. The quote that I saw was this. So let me make it bigger so everybody can see it. So I like I can I can kind of figure out the timeline by how long my hair is. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. So uh, this was the quote, everybody. The quote is, you know, God has put a promise in my heart, right? Well, God has put a promise in your heart. It means your, your heart, right? So maybe it's been years. You tried and it didn't work out. You had some setbacks, but God is saying begin again. He's saying start again. He's saying start expecting again. And man, guys, this kind of, Justin, this quote means so much more to me now because like my birthday, and I told you how miserable it was, like just because I'm 30. Yeah. And guys, just in case you don't know, like I made a post on my social media page just asking for prayer and asking for any kind of motivation or inspiration for people older than me or anybody that doesn't think like I think and can help me out or that does think like I think and can help me out with how God helped them and stuff like that through this. All right. So I'm um, 30 years old and there's a lot of stuff that I haven't done that I thought I would do by 30. So and it's been like this since I was 25. Like since I was 25, there's things that I want to do by 25 that I haven't done. And I thought I'd be further than what I was by that age. So every time I have a birthday, it makes me sad. And I get depressed. And I'm like, man, what's the point of living? You know, like, like, is it ever going to happen? You know, or like, um, I get depressed because like, what if it don't happen? Like, what if I died this year at 30? Like, did I affect any lives? Like, I'm, I, I like, I want to touch so many people. Like, I want to, I don't want to say, I can't save anybody. But I want through my ministries and stuff like that for God to save a million because bazillion an infinite amount of people and that's gonna happen past my lifetime but my ministry ain't in a place to where it can do that right now right <laughs> so i'm just i'm behind right and it's depressing so this quote oh man it touched me so much you know god has put a promise you like you were gonna say something justin were you about to say something oh no i'm no uh -huh. i'm just listening in okay so yeah this quote you know god has put a promise in your heart man he put a promise in my heart man and it, it's been years I still, I'm nowhere near where, where at least I, I heard God say to me and what in the passions and the in the dreams and all that stuff that he's given me. Like, I'm nowhere near what is what he showed me is it could be right. And it's going to be. So I've been trying on a daily basis on my social media pages. Like, guys, I'm telling you, there's a lot of times where I don't do stuff for work that I should be doing stuff for work. And I make a sacrifice for you guys, for my social media pages, like just teaching the word in the Bible. And I wish I did it more, but I can't because I got a nine to five and I'm just trying to balance it all. Like that's the hardest thing for me is just balancing. So I had setbacks, right? And some stuff didn't work. And I, But I keep on trying, keep on beginning again, keep on praying again, keep on expecting again. Like I try to be so, so like you guys can tell I'm motivating. Like I'm pretty positive, but like I have my negative moments like where I don't expect anything. Right, like my 30th birthday, but then I get I start praying again. I just keep on working, keep on doing right. So um I just wanted to say that because it ties in with Nehemiah chapter one like crazy, right? So let me go to my notes real quick. Like me and Justin on that video that you saw, trying again, right? Go to that video, man. It's a quote of the day. We were talking about that quote, but we use this verse with it. So it's Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 for the for Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise up again. 
but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes, right? So the, in the Christian life, it's all about experiencing God, right? It's all about your relationship with God. It's all about seeing the glory of God in a different way. That's what each and every single trial of your life comes to do. To reveal another side of God you never know, known before. It's to reveal a different name of God you ain't never heard before or knew existed. You know, Jehovah Jiro, Jehovah Nisi, Elohim, they all mean different things. And each and every single trial and trouble in your life reveals a different name of God, right? So <laughs> in life, you're going to keep on messing up. You're going to keep on screwing up. You're going to keep on failing and falling. But the righteous, even though they fall seven times, they get up again. They rise up again. Right. We serve a God of second, third, fourth and an infinite amount of second of chances. Right. You guys get what I'm saying. He's merciful. He's ready for, to forgive. He's ready to bless. He's ready to be gracious to us. He ready. He's ready to show his favor to us. And that's what Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah had faith in that. Even though the people are scattered, even though they're in an impossible situation, Nehemiah is like, what the heck? God, if you want to use me, can you use me? Like, can we please get some work done in Jerusalem? And some of y'all want some work done. Me, I want work done. I'm still messing up. Like, I'm still failing. But I'm rising up again, baby. Like, you're rising up again. You got to get up. You got to pray. You got to be merciful and humble yourself and surrender to God's will and what he wants to do. Because he's willing to help you. That's the gospel, man. That's what we learned in Nehemiah chapter 1, man. But the wicked, they stumble and they keep on stumbling and they never get back up again. Because God never lifts them up. Because they don't want to be lifted up by God because they think they can do it all by themselves when calamity strikes. So that's Nehemiah chapter one, guys. I pray you enjoyed it. Justin, you good? Yeah, man. I think we yeah, man. I think we hit all the strong points in there. That's that's a great way to finish up Nehemiah one. Man, I was scared. I didn't think it I, I didn't think it'd be that I didn't I didn't think it'd be that good. I really didn't. I had no expectations. It, it was a man, the beginning was like we were already hit, hitting the ground running. This was a good study. Right. All right, guys. So that's the video, man. Um let me go to my social media page. I should have did this at the beginning of the video, but uh, I guess I wanted to just go ahead and get in the word. I was excited and want to hurry up because we're, we're doing this on a weekday, guys. Like Justin and me got work tomorrow, so we got to go to bed and stuff like that. But anyways, here goes my social media pages, uh, my YouTube and podcast, Upload Past Crossroads, Facebook, Facebook page, LinkedIn, and Sean Christopher Jenkins. You guys see it. Trouble Don't Last, my Twitter, Snap, Instagram, TikTok, Instagram, my other Instagram page, my underscore thing, underscore Bible, Tumblr. Uh, my Tumblr page on last number one, but if you go to my YouTube, guys, my Upper Pass Crossroads, that's my baby. You'll see all the videos that me and Justin did. You'll see way more than that. You'll see Bible studies and sermons that I did. You see people that's been on my channel before that are featured on my channel. So you see Justin's YouTube channel right here. You see Terry's uh, ministry and his YouTube channel right here. My dad. So yeah, just check out all that on Upper Pass Crossroads, and also on Upper Pass Crossroads, I obviously got playlists on here. So if you go to my if you go to the playlist tab on uh, Upload Pass Crossroads, you can see all the playlists I have. I have way too many, as you can see. Like, I got way more than that than what you just saw. But anyways, click on the playlist tab and then just scroll all the way down until you, and until you see all the uh, playlists. And then you'll see that I have a playlist on the book of Nehemiah chapter one. So you can look at all the sermons and the Bible studies that me and Justin have done on the book of Nehemiah chapter one thus far. And then also in general on the book of Nehemiah, you can see all the Sunday school lessons and Bible studies and uh, yeah, videos that me and Justin did on that as well. And then also same thing for Justin's YouTube channel. Here goes his YouTube channel right here. So he just posted some videos, guys. So check that out, man. They're short and sweet. So y'all check that out. Like it, comment, 
share you know subscribe turn on the post notifications so you when you you know when he uploads another video when i upload another video and stuff like that and then here goes his facebook page as well so yeah guys you guys know the drill man so thanks for tuning in guys uh it's been a long time on this video so we're heading out man i pray in jesus name that everybody has a stupendous and great rest of your week i'll be going live some more and you guys will definitely be seeing justin again whenever he's uh willing to join us but uh, i pray that everybody enjoyed this video man thanks again and happy monday and happy new year i pray that in jesus name that everybody has a great 2023 all right so peace out justin you good yep y'all stay blessed all right.